All right, welcome everyone to the fourth episode of the Open Source Sports Podcast. My name is Ron Yurko. And I'm Kostas Pellegrinis. And today we are joined by Lot Branson. She is the lead data scientist at SciSports, where she leads the data analytics team that develops analytical tools to derive actionable insights from soccer data. An avid soccer player herself, she primarily works on developing machine learning models to measure the impact of soccer players' in-game actions and decisions on the courses and outcomes of matches. Prior to joining SciSports, she attained a Master of Science degree in Econometrics and Management Science from Erasmus University, Rotterdam and a Bachelor of Science degree in Mathematics from Utrecht University. And we're excited for Lot to join us today because we're going to discuss uh, papers co-authored with uh, John Van mm -hmm. Haren, uh, Player Chemistry, Striving for a Perfectly Balanced Soccer Team. So Lot, thanks for joining us. The, um, glad you could uh, join us from across uh, <laughs> the world today. Yes, I'm glad, uh, I'm happy to join you today. And to just to get started, um, you know, we want to see like uh, you have like an overview of this paper. What was the the main goals you were interested in for beginning this work? What were you hoping and trying to accomplish? Yeah, so uh, what we try to accomplish is like um, filling the gap. That's like uh, like most scouts in soccer, they focus on uh, individual players. So they they want to find the best individual player for their team, um, and mostly. Uh, they ignore the fact that well the, the player also should be should be uh, able to play well with the players that are already on the team and I was actually motivated by the fact that there's like in the Netherlands where I'm from um, there was like there were two players like one was really like a big striker who was a really good uh, good header he, he could uh, finish crosses really well and the other player was like a, a fast uh, winger like a right winger who always crossed the ball to him and he always scored. And then at some point, they both, uh, well, they both were playing really well and they both deserved like a transfer to another club, two different clubs. Uh, and they never, ever uh, did well again um, because they just, uh, they, they needed each other to perform well. And it's actually like one of the first times that I started thinking about, okay, we should do something uh, about this. We should think about how players behave together and how they influence, influence each other's uh, performances. So that's actually like uh, yeah, how we came up with the plan to investigate chemistry between uh, players in, uh, in soccer. Yeah, no, what I really like about the main idea of the paper even is the fact that, you know, we see a lot of work on like um, uh, the plus minus metrics, whether it be basketball, soccer, hockey, but they always are focusing on the individual player. And something actually connects to the episode we did before was this idea of what if you look at players together in terms of the interactions of them both being on the court, on the pitch, et cetera. And so this work is actually directly doing that, which I find interesting. So to start with uh, questions that go through, uh, I like to begin with the actual data considered for the paper and in, in this analysis. So from my understanding, at least, it seems like the the main data source for this, I think you can access public versions of this, right? Like soccer commentary or match event-based data. Um, so could someone in the public themselves proceed in a way to actually replicate this style of work? Yes, yeah, so like the main, uh, you're right, the main thing that we use that type of data is uh, match event data. So that's that it describes like every action on the pitch, on the ball uh, action. 
Um, and there's like, well, at least I know there's two public data sets, uh, one from Wisecout and uh, one from Setcom. Um, well, so you can access them yourself. It's like, um, uh, not like an extensive data set, but I think it sh should work out to, to also replicate this work and also uh, well, work with it yourself. Um, and in our paper, we use like an extensive data set from, uh, from Wisecout to, uh, um, well, to measure the chemistry and also predict chemistry between players. Yeah, so I wanted to ask also then about the um, some of this additional data you joined from size sports, like the size skill, potential, the player rules, uh, physical performance. Could you provide some more background on those metrics, those data yeah. sets? Yeah, sure. So that's, the, these data sets uh, are not public. So uh, that type of data is not uh, public, uh, publicly available. But uh, the size skill is uh, it's like a player index that we have at size sports. Um, so actually, it measures like the uh, the contribution that a player has to his team uh, just based on match sheet data. So I think the strength of the size skill that it's like, uh, well, working on little data, little information, uh, but that does give like an, a rough uh, indication of a player's player skill. The potential that we also use is like um, uh, an estimation or like a prediction of the maximum size skill that a player will reach in his career. So for younger players, we, we like uh, uh, predict what his uh, maximum size skill would be in the future. Uh, when we're look at, looking at different uh, at, uh, players that have like a similar uh, similar career path in the, in the past. Um, so that's like the potential score. The player roles, that's kind of like a very important uh, thing in our uh, uh, chemistry prediction. It's, um, we have like 22 roles. So um, these can go from like a ball playing goalkeeper um, a ball winning defender, an offensive wingback, uh, inside forward, target man, uh, but also like more like a mobile striker. Um, and there's like 22 two roles, and we have like 22 different models for, the, for those uh, roles. Um, and they actually predict like a score between zero and one, how much like a player shows the behavior of such a role. So like a target man typically uh, well, does a lot of headers in a match, uh, while like a mobile striker more like gets through balls from his, his uh, well, his teammates, um, and that way we have like a score between one and zero for, for yeah, zero and one for every uh, player role. Um, and then we also have like the physical uh, uh, physical indicators. Um, those are also scores between zero and one, and um, they indicate actually what's the strength of a player uh, in terms of uh, air strength, so like winning uh, air challenges, um, ground strength, winning ground uh, duels, um, and also like the speed of a player and also the, the distance that he covers in a match. And those uh, turned also to be like uh, well valuable indicators for uh, uh, predict chemistry between two uh, two players. Oh, thanks. The uh, yeah, because the idea is you have this match event data where then you can look at like the tandems of uh, two types of um, events taking place back to back of uh, these teammates together, but then also account for this contextual information that you know about what types of players these are, their particular skill sets as well. The, so the crucial thing, um, and this, this is just building up the background before I turn it over to Costas, especially for someone like myself with very actual limited uh, soccer analytics knowledge, but the, um, this really builds on your VAEP framework, evaluating actions by estimating probabilities. So I hope you can give a little bit of background on that. I guess just from my understanding is this very much seems like any sort of uh, value added uh, framework where I'm thinking in my head, like one could take win probability added 
in the context of like in a basketball or hockey model um, and sort of plug in that value added in its place here. Uh, could you talk more about that framework, which I know is a separate paper, but just to give some background. Yeah, no, of course I can. Uh, this is like a very important building block of, the, of this chemistry paper. So you're right that you could, you could like plug in like also like a wind probability added model or anything else uh, that measures like the uh, added value. So the, the, the VAPE uh, paper is this paper we wrote with uh, well, Tom de Kroos and uh, Jesse Davis from Leuven and also Jan van Haren, who I uh, wrote this paper. And the VAPE framework, um, it measures like the, uh, the, uh, yeah, well, the added value of a particular action. So we, uh, we look at the game state before the action and after the action. So when we look, for example, at a pass um, from the midfield to the striker, um, then we look at like what is the game state value of, of uh, having possession at the, at the midfield before the pass and also like after the pass, what's now the game state value. And the game state value is measured in um, like uh, the probability that the goal will be scored within 10 actions. So that's how we uh, define the game state value, the game state. And then, uh, well, we learn models to, to predict uh, these game state values. And that way we can uh, well, value actions, um, like passes, dribbles, uh, shots, uh, interceptions, all the, of those actions we can uh, measure with the vape, uh, vape ratings. And uh, well, there's our building block for this, uh, this chemistry paper, indeed. Yeah, great. And uh, actually, I remember I, I was um, uh, present in the presentation at KDD of Vibe, and I haven't seen any other paper with so many people in the crowd wanting to ask questions. Uh, and everyone wanted to learn whether Messi or Ronaldo is uh, the best player. Um, so one of the things that uh, I liked in this uh, paper is the use of the Bayesian average for the expected offensive contribution of a player. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Bayesian average. My question on that is, so you use as a prior, uh, you know, the um, five, six games uh, before, before that, which might have an impact on the beginning of the season when you don't have enough data. So have you tried or do you think different priors like information from past seasons, um, you know, possibly weighted with, you know, more um, older seasons weighting less uh, might help uh, improving uh, the performance? Yeah, good, uh, good question. Um, I, I think we, we can do better in this, these priors. So uh, indeed, in the, in the beginning of the season, it's really hard um, to know what you can expect from a, from a particular player in terms of well, offensive contribution in this case. Um, so we thought about using um, historical seasons or data from, from players in other, in other seasons, but we uh, stumbled upon a, well different um, issues. So, um, well, players are moving from different competitions to other competitions, and the fave ratings is like we cannot really transfer them to other competitions. So, it's like, well, Messi reaches like a very high number in uh, La Liga, but the player might reach like a similar uh, fave rating in uh, the Dutch Eredivisie, but it doesn't mean that he has like the same level as, as Messi has. So, that's why I think uh, we stumbled upon. Um, so I think we definitely can use like the for the players that we do know that they play in the same season, the same competition. We we could definitely use their their uh, ratings in previous seasons, um, and I think also uh, well for players that we don't have a lot of information, I think the current priors should do. Um, so currently we use like the um, uh, well based on their position on the field because we know like more offensive players have higher uh, offensive uh, ratings. 
um, but yeah, we, at least we can do better there by using like data from previous seasons to improve these uh, these priors. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, yeah. I, I hadn't thought of the uh, you know indeed player change competition. So it's uh, yeah, it's hard. Uh, yeah. yeah, and this happens also basically also well. I guess happens across all ladies, but particularly younger players where you already don't have enough data anyway. Yeah, yeah, um, indeed. yeah. So one, uh, another thing I really liked was the defensive chemistry. Uh, I mean, obviously, defense is a hard thing to quantify in any sport, but and many people don't, don't touch upon it. Uh, but um, I liked how you were using the offensive contribution of the players they, that the defenders were supposed to cover. And you basically looked at how these offensive uh, players uh, um, performed above or below expectation. So this made me actually think whether you could, whether it would make um, sense to use something similar in the offense, uh, because for example, one way to, uh, to quantify chemistry, let's say in basketball, is to identify a plus minus for every player, and then if the same player, if you have a specific lineup, you just add up their um, plus minus and you see what you expect from the lineup. And then you see how the lineup perform and you say, you know, if they perform better, they have good chemistry. If they perform worse, they have bad chemistry. So my question is, let's say you have Messi and Suarez, right? So they're both great players. So their um, offensive contributions would be high. Uh, yeah. But the question is, would, be, would it be high if he, if if you compare it to what you expect from them as a sum. So do you think that might um, change any of the results or conclusions? Yeah, I think that would be like a very interesting uh, approach to, uh, to look into. Um, the thing is we, we did kind of look into like, how does a player play um, when he, for example, Messi, how does he play when two hours is not on the pitch? Uh, the issue there with, with in soccer, I think, well, it's a bigger issue, I think, than in, than in basketball because, uh, well, there's not a lot of substitutions. So, um, but also for the defensive contribution, it was sometimes hard uh, that the two center defenders always play together. Um, so, yeah, do they, uh, do they, are they playing well because the other is there or is it also like individual uh, performance? Um, so that's, I think, one of the issues with, with soccer is that there's not a lot of substitutions going on. So you don't have a lot of observations of different uh, couples in the, uh, in the pitch. Uh, but I think it would be interesting, like the thing you say, like okay, what can we expect um, from the, these players? I ju I'm just thinking how we can uh, define this, like as a sum, or like how you define this expectation for yeah. the players. Yeah, that would mm -hmm. be good, good thing to consider and to uh, to look into. Yes. Yeah, because the challenge here would be the, as you said, since there's no or very small number of substitutions of, if they're always together, then if you try to use the expected, that, should, that could just literally be the entire value. And so then yeah. you completely remove everything, which notably like, well, that's probably not true. So yeah, it, it does, that's the challenge of just the sports context of the limited substitutions and how do you overcome that? So I do really like the way that it was handled for on the defensive side, given the fact that you don't actually have these direct actions that you have on the offensive side of the ball the, um, so yeah. for just even this kind of relates then to um there's you have this table three of the of the paper that shows the differences mm -hmm. when you go to predict then these chemistry values and showing the um like 
offense, you can really do a great job at predicting in terms of these air measures the, versus what you see for defense. So I'm curious about um, a couple of things actually though is in terms of the actual scales of these differences, and I don't think it's, it's, it's that surprising that you have a baseline measure, which is just taking the averages, your null intercept only, and then comparing to uh, gradient boosted trees, accounting for these different variables. And you see these improvements, but it's not like it's, it doesn't appear to be drastically improved, which makes sense from my perspective of these are trying to predict how players perform with different players, different teams out of sample. So you shouldn't see big improvements. But I guess I was wondering, um, are you concerned at all by how close it is to like this baseline? And are there particular variables that you've seen that really are the actual reason as to, hey, these particular context variables that we can measure and account for are the reason that we have some slight edge at predicting this out of sample uh, future player chemistry? Yeah, so um, we were cons yeah, considering the defensive chemistry because I think that that's, uh, that model is uh, um, having more, more issues than the offensive, uh, predicting offensive chemistry. I think, yeah, we were, of, co of course, we were concerned. Um, so I think it's like a really, really hard problem, uh, the defensive chemistry. So um, we were not satisfied yet. Uh, but at least we see that we can have like some some uh, small gains, like uh, the, the the player roles. They are very important. So the type of player, um, and also like the couple. So um, for defenders, uh, we look into like the the, the predictions uh, for certain pair pair players, and we saw that like um, if one of the two players is like a physical strong defender, so like uh, has high uh, air challenge uh, ratings, high, high ground uh, dual uh, uh, ratings. Um, and the other has more like speed, um, higher speed ratings that would be like a good couple. So that's like one of the things that our model picked up. Um, and as well as like the type of uh, defender that they were like a ball playing defender. Um, it's like, well, more ball playing defenders are always like better in the offensive chemistry. Um, and like uh, for the defensive chemistry, uh, well, it was like the combination of like the f more physical, uh, strong guy and like the more like uh, runner uh, speed uh, person. Uh, but yeah, we, we think that uh, we can make some improvement, well, a lot of improvement, I think, for the defensive chemistry if we would have, like, tracking data. Um, so we did it, like, using ball event data. Um, and then it's always, um, um, but it's, it's, it's harder to, to know what's happening without the ball, of course, uh, because yeah. we only get the data that's, like, on the ball. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I guess that's also the problem with difference in general I, I i mean i feel even with tracking data one of the things is it's hard to identify even when the difference collapses right it's hard to identify who really made the bad defensive play because you don't know what they were supposed to do uh, so that's one of the hard things uh, i mean at, in basketball too but the soccer even more i i mm -hmm. feel because it's such a game of space particularly so I think uh, definitely tracking will help, but uh, again, uh, I don't know how much of an improvement it really can provide, uh, given all these uh, other variables that uh, it's hard to know. I think one thing that um, that you kind of set up an, an, a natural extension for tracking data was in terms of doing this defensive uh, 
evaluation of chemistry of how mm -hmm. you apportion the responsibility to players. Because I really like this is this analysis is entirely based on this match event data that doesn't actually have tracking data, but you still use the, hey, the positional grid and based on just our known grid of where positions should be on pitch, right, we can compute the Euclidean distance and assign responsibilities based on that. So naturally, tracking data comes in and you could use the actual distances when the events occur, <laughs> right, to do these responsibilities. So I'm wondering then, um, what other ways uh, do you think then this player tracking data can be incorporated? Uh, you know, I guess, especially on the defensive side, but have you thought about on the offensive side for thinking about player chemistry as well? Yeah, so yeah, I think it's can also be very uh, valuable for the offensive side. Um, so that's mainly about like players um, creating space for each other. So like more like off the ball runs. Uh, I remember there's like a, a paper by uh, Javier Fernandez from, uh, from Barcelona. I think it was two years ago at MIT Sloan. Uh, and he said that like, like that, like Suarez, he created a lot of space for his teammates, especially for Messi, um, providing Messi like more more space to, to get the ball and uh, do good things. So I think that's also a very interesting uh, uh, way to look at, like to, to see uh, how a player is creating space for other players and well, in this particular case, how like Suarez is creating space for, for Messi. So I think that that could be very interesting for the offensive uh, uh, part. And for the defensive part, um, yeah, what we already mentioned, like players uh, blocking, uh, passing lanes and that kind of stuff. I think like def defending is um, maybe way more of a team thing of like, like involves multiple people and it's really hard to, to who to punish for a goal, like uh, who, who gets punished if like a striker scores from across, like maybe the defender who well, let the cross be even given and also the defenders who had to mark the, the striker. So I think that's like a really difficult uh, issue with defending. Um, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and uh, one of the things that uh, definitely you can do with um, tracking data, and I think uh, it, it relates a good to my next question, is that you can identify how the uh, you know the formation of the team changes throughout the game. Uh, so I, I wonder whether you have you think it's useful and if there will be anything there to look at whether the formation uh, relates with how a specific pair of players uh, play so if the formation has any impact on chemistry which in that sense i would guess it's not fully chemistry it could be chemistry plus system or something like that but for example if you have a 4-4-2 versus 4-5-1 maybe you know, if the one uh, striker plays a little bit more behind, they are able to, um, to to play better together. So have you looked into that? Yeah, it's a really interesting uh, question. Uh, we, we didn't really look into formations, uh, but I think it's like a very interesting th thing to look at. Um, so I can believe like that, uh, that um, well, I think like chemistry is also involved or like think the way how we're measuring it by like the tactics of the coach. So it's like, it's like what you say, like it's also yeah, formation, uh, coach uh, thing. So we don't, we never know like what is like the the, the rules or the uh, game principles that the, the players have to have to execute by the coach. Um, so that's something that that influences this chemistry, and I think also the formation might uh, be a big influence. And it might be very interesting for for a coach to know like okay, if we play like four four two with these these two up front, or we do like more like four five one, and though both players start playing better then you know then the chemistry is bigger between those players in such a formation that, that would maybe 
uh, help him to make a choice what formation mm -hmm. to uh, to use. So I think it's really interesting to look into. Uh, yes. And and could this be extended? Obviously, to more players, you could put possibly extend in the same way. Uh, you know, three players, let's say, say three actions. But for example, maybe also to different lines, right? How the specific um, middle field line with uh, the strikers, how do they perform? Do, do you think that would make any sense, or do you think it will overcomplicate or make data more sparse and stuff like that? I think it would be really, really interesting to look into like how how different lines behave. I think it will maybe lead to like a sample size issue if you really want to compare these three midfielders with those three strikers and uh, uh, and, and different uh, types of midfielders. Um, but I think it would be really interesting to look into. Um, and well, we've think, thought about like, the, the end goal would be, uh, in my opinion, to do this like for uh, for complete squads. So actually you want to have like like 18 players or 20 players in your squad for to start at the start of a season who have like the, the best chemistry together and you can play in a certain way against the top teams and the, and the bottom teams and you want well of course you want good players but also you want them to have chemistry uh, but well we started with two players because well it's hard to start with uh, with everyone um, but yeah I think you would also go to like network analysis if you will really want to to incorporate like how 11 players behave together or like even with substitutions. Um, but yeah, for three people, um, you can of course like look at three consecutive actions. But at some point, it doesn't work like that anymore. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we go to the last question that most probably everyone would be interested in, we had mm -hmm. a question from Twitter, uh, Zach Beery. Um, he was asking that um, basically teams always buy new players, uh, but this can potentially disrupt the chemistry. Uh, how would you consult teams on the impact of living the team as is and letting players develop chemistry as they play versus buying new players um, that could disrupt whatever was starting building them the season before? And how would this work help with that? Yeah, so we, uh, uh, we also looked into um, how uh, chemistry evolves over time. So um, we, uh, well, we know how many matches a pair of players have, have played before. So that was like one of the features in our model. Um, and we saw that like the longer they play together, the more matches they play together, the better they uh, tend to have chemistry. So around 30 matches, or for example, uh, I think it was around 30, uh, like it's kind of like a season long. Uh, at that point, it stabilizes. So in the first 30 matches, like it increases that chemistry between two players. And at some point it stabilizes. So that would be like a really good selling point, I think, to a coach or like to, to a club to, well, at least let, let players play together enough mm -hmm. and don't sell too much. And um, you can see at Liverpool, for example, they have like, um, their squad is like, didn't really change last season and well, they won the Premier League. So I think it's, uh, um, that could be like also like a thing to motivate like a, a coach to, to, keep the, to keep the same team and to let players play together and don't, sell and buy too many players but yeah the, the football world or the soccer world is like uh, yeah. a weird world sometimes so, so uh, i this uh, just came to my mind this question um as you were speaking uh i you had a lot of interest var interesting variables when you were estimating the chemistry like the cu cultural variables uh you know if players are from the same mm -hmm. country and so on did you look at the i don't remember if you looked at the age of players because you know, media likes to say, "Oh, you have an old, a veteran in your team that can gel the team together." Uh, I wonder whether that's something that is indeed true. 
Yeah, we did have uh, H uh, in there, uh, but it didn't really, for, for pair of plays, didn't really uh, matter, actually. Um, so, um, actually, before we started this, this work, uh, my personal feeling was that, like, culture plays a big role. Um, so, like, the language players play, um, and also, like, from what area of the world they're from. Uh, but we didn't really find uh, any features there that were like very very important for the mm -hmm. for predictions uh, just more like the style play uh, of a player that's like uh, important for predictions but yeah, the age was not really uh, into into that but i think for like a squad uh, if you what i was talking about before if you want to, to optimize the chemistry within your squad i really think you need like if players from different ages uh, like, mm -hmm. like younger players of course who really want to, to strive and to Want to show themselves and also like more some veteran players who can work the other team together. Mm -hmm. and now I, I got a quick question before oh, yeah. jumping mm -hmm. this. I'm actually curious. Um, I can't remember if you go into this in the paper, but are there particular teams you've seen or particular clubs that have displayed like this greater emphasis of players with higher chemistry, like in terms of you going through and evaluating this way? Are there clubs that actually have a history of having higher chemistry on their teams versus others and is that related then to success yeah so um we, well we looked into into liverpool uh quite a lot and we, and we saw like that um they bought like players in the previous two three years that were all like really uh well pred high predicted uh, chemistry with, with, his, with their new teammates and, and, and they stayed together for like a year together and then, and then the chemistry grew again. Um, so I think Liverpool is a good example there, but we didn't really look into like other, like a more like a general uh, way. But uh, we looked into the Liverpool team because, well, we saw that, uh, no, they were really playing really well together. And I think they really built their team, uh, like players that really want to, uh, don't want to be a star, but also players that really work hard and let others play, uh, play better. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we, we all have followed, at least the soccer fans, uh, the drama with Messi that is uh, kind of forced to stay in Barcelona. So most probably next season he's going to be a free agent. So you have any recommendations on which mm -hmm. team would be the best fit for him in terms of chemistry? Yeah, so I looked into this and uh, um, <laughs> it's... Uh, maybe not unsurprisingly, but it's like Manchester City that would be like the best fit for him. Um, especially high predicted chemistry with uh, Aguero, um, also like the same, uh, same country, and also Kevin De Bruyne. So we see that Kevin De Bruyne is like a player, his type of player, uh, like it's like an advanced playmaker, someone who passes a lot, is, tends to make um, like mobile strikers like Messi play better. Mm -hmm. um, so that would be like a good fit uh, for him, uh, uh, and maybe also a good fit for the coach. But I didn't look into yeah. it. You cannot predict that. But, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, that's uh, interesting. But, uh, yeah. So hopefully, hopefully for him, uh, Suarez stays at uh, in Barca. He has <laughs> like a good fit with uh, Suarez together. But, uh, you will see. Good. I'm curious uh, what um, what you're thinking of as your what's like a preview of like the next thing you're kind of working on or thinking about because now okay there's been this framework for valuing and then you've moved on to chemistry and is there, are you thinking of like kind of building off even more of this chemistry work um, just want to get a sense of what is kind of the next step you're thinking um yeah that, well then the ultimate goal would be like to have like a complete 
for me, uh, I think like a, a squat optimization for like the complete uh, squat, like not only did it first 11, but for complete squat at the beginning of the season. And uh, another thing that I think it's very uh, important in soccer analytics uh, is to make it like more interpretable. So um, to uh, to get like um, soccer people uh, trust your models or trust the numbers that, that we provide them. Uh, well, we need to explain better what the model is, is learning and um, why it predicts like a high chemistry between two players. So if we just say like, okay, you should buy this player because we predict high chemistry, that and that's it, then it's hard to show. But then if you can show it with, with video footage or like with uh, like explain why the model predicts this, this value, that's uh, so that's also a direction that I think is uh, well we're also looking into uh, to get it more interpretable to better understand what the model is actually learning. Yeah, and I think that's a that's something that's consistent with all of uh, work in sports. And I could even just say, um, like recently, uh, American football team, uh, the San Francisco 49ers just hired a PhD student, well, now PhD from uh, Harvard Biostats, who worked on interpretable machine learning. So his entire yeah. dissertation was about that subject, right, of actually, okay, we're using these uh, fancy algorithms and models, but people are very much interested in understanding what they actually imply, what they mean, what are these variables saying inside of them. The, um, so that is absolutely something that's important. And that's something you know, I think people don't realize, especially when you use something like, uh, in this case, uh, cat boost or any sort of gradient boosted trees or tree-based models, you can interpret these things. They're not just you know, closed mm -hmm. black boxes. There, there are ways of summarizing effects and gaining importance. The, um, so uh, I guess, uh, Costas, do you have anything else you want to add? No, I think that these were all uh, my questions. Uh, great, great paper. I really loved it. I think chemistry in general, not only in soccer, but in other sports is something, is one of those things that people call intangibles, but actually most maybe you can actually estimate it. Uh, and I think it's very important uh, for building a team. Yeah, I think for this paper also, uh, one of the things I really liked was the fact that you did a simple definition for actually defining chemistry. Like, okay, if two players have higher chemistry, then they would have better performance together. Like, it's it, it's, it's very natural to do. And it's to me, it was nice because it's, it's a simple way of actually setting up the problem that then you could build off from. So that's, that's one of the reasons why I really like this work, that I could see other people sort of uh, – taking ideas from it to go into other sports with I think basketball maybe hockey even being um like sort of like the most natural steps to take mm -hmm. the uh to build from it with of course differences just in sports structure but um yeah, thanks for joining us a lot and uh I guess uh, where can people find you on twitter if they're interested in following you yeah it's my my twitter has a lot of answer so uh okay. <laughs> And uh, I guess I'll add, uh, you'll be actually uh, speaking, I think, about this work at the, yeah. uh, our upcoming Carnegie Mellon Sports Analytics Conference. Yeah, that's correct. Yes. So Great. excited to have you join us there. So, uh, mm -hmm. yeah. I'm also excited. Yeah. yeah. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. You're welcome. I enjoyed. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Open Source Sports Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter at OpenSRCSports. You can follow myself, Ron Yurko, at stat underscore Ron, and Costas Pelicrinus at K Pelicrinus. We'd appreciate it if you could take a moment to subscribe and 
rate the show on Apple Podcasts, and you can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. Thanks for listening.